0: You're listening to NASA and Silicon Valley episode 95. I'm Kimberly Manofra, and this week our guests are Lynn Harper, who leads emerging commercial space efforts for the NASA Space Portal Office here at Ames Research Center, and Monsi Rahman, who manages NASA's Centennial Challenge Program at Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Lynn and Monsi are talking about NASA's Vascular Tissue Challenge. The challenge is open, and since we recorded this conversation, more teams have signed on. As of now, we have 12 teams competing for the big prize. Now let's listen to the conversation with Lynn Harper and Monsi Rahman.
1: This is a little bit different, just because it's not just NASA and Silicon Valley. It's you know NASA like Ames here, and we also have uh, Monsi over at Marshall like listening in and, and talking with us. But so, Lynn, I, I was just wondering if you could start off with like you know how did you end up in NASA to begin with? I
2: actually got into NASA through the Boy Scouts.
1: Oh, how interesting. <laughs> believe
2: it believe I was doing recombinant DNA research at Stanford. My grandmother had gotten sick and I had returned home to Connecticut and I needed a job. So I got a job with the Fairfield County Council Boy Scouts of America.
1: Okay.
2: And and I had always been a secret space cadet. But I'm a fireman's daughter from Bridgeport, Connecticut, and we were far <laughs> from the space program. Yeah. Um, and I, I was on the job one week and I read Explorers Can Explore can uh, propose experiments for the space shuttle. And I got on the phone and this remarkable man by the name of Fred Wolf, who had been the director of the tracking station in Santiago, Chile, Mm -hmm. returned from duty, discovered that private citizens could buy five cubic feet of space on the space shuttle and wrote a check and then brought that home um, and told his wife that he had just bought a piece of the sky. And she said, well, what are you going (laughs) to do with it? And so he donated it to the Boy Scouts. Really? Yeah. So I had a a strong biology background, but these were actually the first flight programs that I ever did. There was a nationwide competition. I worked with the kids. We set up Explorer posts, and we got ready to fly. Um, There were machining companies that that brought the kids in, so they did all of the work themselves. They designed all of the science themselves. And um, when the competition occurred, there were 100 proposals. Ten were selected for flight, and five was from my group. So then I got married, and I moved to Washington, <laughs> D.C., and um, I wanted to work for NASA, and, and NASA headquarters was there, and it took me all day to get up my courage, and so I called up at 4.30 in the afternoon, and clearly it was meant to be because the only person that was there, I didn't discover this till later, mm-hmm. was the director of the life sciences division at NASA headquarters. Oh. <laughs> and I went through, you know, that I had worked with the Postar Project, that was the name of it, and I had a background in biology and I was looking for a job, and he asked me if I could write. His name was Jerry Soffin, by the way. He asked me if I could write. I said, yes. And so uh, they hired me across the street at uh, Bionetics, and I became technical manager for there, and then I started working with the other programs. And when there was a vacancy in life sciences in 1986, they hired me as the program executive for advanced missions and special projects.
1: Well, wow, and how long did that take until you ended up moving all, like going cross-country, um, I
2: I, um, I moved to Ames in 1989.
1: Okay. okay. Uh, so
2: I got hired in 86. I was the uh, Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Program Manager and did the architecture of getting it through Congress as well oh, as, wow. as about six other new initiatives and moved to Ames in 89 because um, – um, I got married again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> as so life goes. Yes. <laughs> How about you, Monsi? Was it through the Boy Scouts? Did you join NASA through the Boy Scouts as well?
2: <laughs> no,
3: I do have Boy Scouts. I actually have Eagle Scouts in my house. but Nice. No. <laughs> I, my story is a little bit different. Um, my husband got a job at NASA, so we moved from uh, Puerto Rico. I'm from Puerto Rico to Huntsville, Alabama, for him to start working for NASA. I had a bachelor's degree in biology and applied to the University of Alabama in Huntsville Mm -hmm. and was accepted uh, to do a master's degree in microbiology. And uh, when I was there, while I was doing my master's a position in microbiology open at Marshall Space Flight Center, I applied and got the position. So that was in 1989.
1: <laughs> oh, well, hey, look at hey. that. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time Little ago. Little did we know. Yes. And
3: <laughs> it was for this very crazy project at that time that sounded so out there because um, in 89, we would have uh, a crew in space um, in in the orbiter for up to 14 days. Mm -hmm. And I was um, part of a group that was given the task of designing the air and water systems for a space station that didn't exist. And so basically they told us, you're going to be designing uh, systems that can regenerate, Um, basically recycling systems for water and uh, to keep a crew alive for six months or longer. And uh, so we all look at each other. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh.
1: <laughs>
3: and uh, actually, it worked. We they're they're breathing and they're drinking good water up there, so we did good. <laughs>
1: so I'm going to guess back in 1989, you guys didn't know each other. No, no, no there's no, no singular worked, cohort.
2: No, we worked on similar things because in 1990, I became the division chief for advanced life support. So we prob our paths probably crossed in emails. I'm <laughs> sure they did. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but back in 1990, it's like weird prodigy or some version of e, <laughs> the early cursors of emails or <laughs> like
3: oh
2: my sending phone oh, yeah, calls they were back bad. and forth. That, that was, um, uh, although I do have to say, it was so exciting. We were there for, for the first time email came about and it was <laughs> thrilling, you know. It's like, wow, that's, that's got at least 160 RAM.
3: <laughs> I, I, I remember going to the, having to go to the library to do research on what's in, you know, what chemicals are in urine. And I mean, now you go and do a Google search, you can get that in yeah. 10 seconds. Back then, oh my goodness, you have to get books after books. And and there were not not many of them. <laughs>
1: Well, see, I remember when I first started working, it was like we were lucky to have the one terminal that had an internet connection, and like the whole <laughs> office had to share that one. So if you wanted the internet, then they had to go over there and do it. Lynn and I go way back from here at Ames. Of yeah. you know, you're sitting over at the Space Portal, right? Um, and we have a previous episode with Gary Martin where he talks about the Space Portal a little bit and like some of the stuff that they're working on. Um, but Monsi, I met I met Monty a couple months ago for I think it was one of the small satellites light, um, centennial challenges. So, um,
3: um, (laughs) yeah,
1: or Cube quest. Yeah, exactly. So, so maybe talk about for people who have no idea they hear centennial challenge, what does that even mean? Or what Uh, is that?
3: Well, Centennial Challenges has a very uh, curious name because it's called Centennial Challenges because the first one was uh, designed to commemorate the 100 years of the flight uh, of the Wright brothers. Um, By the time the actual program started was in 2005, which is a little bit later, and so it's kind of... Uh, Maintain the the name anyway. Uh, And the objective of the program is to invite the public, everybody's invited, to come and bring solutions to very hard technical challenges that NASA has. And with the understanding that sometimes an old solution might become, you know, in Mm -hmm. a different application, might be what we're looking for. So we are targeting a multidisciplinary Uh, you know, diverse uh, team of uh, people that can come and solve all kinds of problems, uh, really hard ones. And we had been amazed of what we had been able to get from the
1: public. And there's different versions of these. Well, there ideas. is.
2: And and one of the things that really strikes me about the Centennial Challenge, and that I just love, is it taps into the genius of America, regardless mm-hmm. of where it's located. So I have a story on Centennial Challenges in that when I was chief of advanced life support in the 90s, we tried to develop an astronaut glove. And the challenge mm-hmm. is, is it's mm-hmm. like trying to have a flexible glove Made of balloons, <laughs> okay. where your hands are inside the balloons, and we weren't successful. And Centennial Challenges, this was done by an out-of-work engineer in upstate New York using his wife's sewing machine, and oh, it wow. was an absolutely brilliant solution and completely unexpected. He beat out you know the the one the, the the companies and the groups that you would think would normally have won this, and that's been happening in the Centennial Challenges. We did another one here of uh, the uh, lunar reg. Regolith challenge to move. I think it was a ton of regolith, Monty. Uh, mm-hmm. Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, because I was kind yeah. of peripheral to it.
3: Yeah, it, that that is what makes the program so cool. Um, I mean, the the people that have been able. The, one of the last challenges we had was to uh, provide software for a humanoid um, to improve mm-hmm. manipulation. And per- perception and manipulation, and the winner of that challenge was a stay-at-home dad, um, and it beat a bunch of teams. So <laughs> it is it is incredible what you know the community brings uh, to the table um, as part of the solutions, and and it's just. Innovative, and you know, we pose a problem out there. Anybody, mm-hmm. they have to pay for it. We don't pay them. We only pay them if they bring a solution. And it is incredible to see the, you know, the the ways that people can come up with solutions. And it,
1: yeah, it's fascinating because you think of you know NASA, and you have our scientists, and we have engineers, you have all these people working on cool things. But a huge part of that is like taking advantage of the scientific community, taking academics, students, just any random groups of people who have interests. It's like trying to bring those people together and almost like you're crowdsourcing science. It's exact- it
3: is, it's that's exactly what it is, yeah. crowdsourcing science, but I, I and in my opinion, uh, you know, even bigger beauty of it is that you don't have to, to be an engineer or a scientist to mm-hmm. be part of this. You know, we have had teams that have included artists and, you know, the, all kinds of backgrounds. And for days, you don't have to have a credential in those areas to be able to participate yeah, and I'd, be successful.
1: Yes, yeah, so like at the end of the day, like the best idea wins. It's exactly is where it, it is. comes from. <laughs>
2: it's the fairest, le- most level playing field I've ever seen in, in any technical program.
3: And we actually want to encourage the thoughts of outside of our environment, of scientists and engineers, because um, sometimes we, you know, kind of, you know, the thoughts are the same because we have the same kind of, most of us have the same kind of barriers to our thoughts. Um, The public doesn't have those barriers, you know. Mm -hmm. They haven't been... In the in the process of information um, that we have had throughout our career. so when they come up with a solution, they they don't know the boundaries. So sometimes that is the best way of tackling those problems.
1: Well, it's like any time you work with a group of people, it's like. Sometimes like there's the ideas, it's like the typical management term of synergy. But it's one of the, but it's a true thing where it's like there's ideas I'll come up with and the ideas that Lynn will come up with and Monzi comes up with. But like when you play off of each other and off of the collective, then it's like <laughs> you just start coming up with things that you would have never even thought of.
2: That is correct. You know, um when I looked at the Astronaut Glove Challenge, I got interested in Centennial Challenges, started looking into it more and more. There are students that have won it and beaten out major aerospace companies. <laughs> um, Paul's Robotics, for example, with a group of students in a garage in, in upstate New York. Upstate New York has got a lot of talent on this, by the way. <laughs> um, um, and I think that it brought home something that I hadn't fully appreciated, is that there's a lot more genius in America that we can tap into. Mm-hmm. And that when we open the doors like that, these guys do out-of-the-box thinking, because they've never been in the box. Yeah. Right.
1: So. They don't even know if they're in a box. Yeah, <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> And so, and
1: then help me walk through that and maybe use vascular tissue, like, as an example. What, how do these challenges work? I'm guessing there's an initial proposal or somebody comes up with an idea, then there's a proposal or, or there's a concept that the people within NASA come up with, and then, then you put it out, and then there's a time period where you take ideas. Just kind of walk me through, what is it?
2: Okay, so I'm going to need to defer to Monty <laughs> on this because yeah. I came in after that had already happened. Okay, okay. So, So for us, um, each of the
3: challenges, uh, we currently have four active. And it's like a different child. And they all have a different (laughs) way of uh, coming into a challenge. So in in particular, the one um, with uh, vascular tissue was brought up to us. Uh, We have an open request for proposals for any organization in the United States to propose to us potential um, areas for a challenge. Um, That one in particular was brought to us by a foundation called Methuselah Foundation, Methuselah was interested Mm -hmm. in um, in the process of vascularizing tissue um, for other reasons, and uh, so they brought it in as an area of interest. NASA took the idea uh, with them and started the conversations with them, NASA personnel. So we needed all our challenges have a tie to a NASA need. They're aligned with NASA missions.
2: And
1: and I can't let the Methuselah reference just slide, because all people are like, what is Methuselah? It's like a biblical reference, right? So
2: it is for long life. Okay, yes, exactly. What they are trying to do is it's it's an organization, multi-organizational collaborative to promote life-giving technology, specifically organs. So they work on organ transplant, new organs, engineered organs, and also um, better ways of preserving serving organs today. And so their entire goal, and it's because, um, and I checked this before we we started today, I actually looked at the Department of of Health and Human Services website, and and anybody else can too. But as of today, 1130 a.m. California (laughs) time, exactly. um, Every 10 minutes, someone is added to the National Transplant Waiting List. And so right now, there's there's more than 115,000 people waiting for a transplant. And there's less than 15,000 donors. You know so uh, the other thing is 20 people a day die waiting for that transplant. So that's what the Methuselah Foundation was addressing, is that particular issue. And our piece of it came in because... There was research that was done—well, first of all, as astronauts go further and further from Earth, they need to be autonomous related to their medical care. When they Mm -hmm. go all the way to Mars, there's just no way of returning quickly. So they're going to need to deal with everything there. The tissues we're trying to engineer through the Vascular Tissue Challenge can do two things. One is they can provide new research tools in order to help um, uh, the biomedical research on the space crews. As well as if they get once they get to the stage where new organs are developed, they can be developed from the uh, patient's own body, so there's mm-hmm. no rejection issues. And wow. so those that's the that's the ultimate goal of this research, but it's at such a beginning phase that we're going for one cubic centimeter of tissues. That's about 10 billion cells, because. Right now, we can only do about two two millimeters, so it's a ten time improvement just in the size of tissues that we can maintain.
3: So, and from our side, um, we are very interested, you know, from the NASA mission side also, um, on the potential of using these kinds of technologies to test. Um, methods to minimize the effects of radiation, for example, to humans. So we could send a lot of these experiments to deep space with all kinds of different mitigation, you know, strategies, and then check which tissue, you know, did best. And so instead of using humans uh, to test these kind of things, we can do lots and lots of them in a small space and then choose the the best one to keep our our crew
2: safe in long in a long mission to Mars. And there's also another piece to it which is that the National Space Act directs NASA Um, specifically to um, support bioengineering research development and demonstration programs designed Mm -hmm. to alleviate and minimize the effect of disability. So we're addressing that directly in this. And there's another piece to the story that gets interesting, which is that uh, Dr. David Wolf, who was a physician astronaut, invented a device called a bioreactor. Mm -hmm. And that was I, like an 89-ish, you know, 89-90 time frame. And what he found is that it was the best 3D tissue culture system in the world for certain types of tissues. And when the tissues were grown in space, there was also an improvement in the size and the medical quality of some of the tissues that had flown. But the problem is, is big tissues by themselves is not enough because without vascularization, which, by the way, is blood supply, so vascularization are the blood vessels the um, the veins, the arteries, the um, capillaries, the arterioles, and so forth that make up and feed your entire body with nutrients and remove the wastes and uh, if you eat, if you just develop tissues that don't have that blood vessel system, mm-hmm. they'll die from the inside out. they won't mm-hmm. work so once we get the vascularization part, then we can, we can bring these to space. And that's actually part of the vascular tissue challenge, is to bring them to space. Uh, CASIS, the Center for the Advancement of Science in Space, is mm-hmm. offering both $200,000 to the winners, um, as well as a ride to the space station to conduct the research to, to start extending that one centimeter into larger and larger tissues. We're really excited about that possibility,
3: actually, because um, if this works, this is going to be revolutionary for
2: for Earth. Yeah, it is because okay. So, um, you know, people ask why tissue cultures, mm-hmm. because you have seventy five trillion cells in your body, and if you're trying to find out what the cause of a disease is, and the reason you want to know that exquisitely well is that you can interrupt the disease process with no side effects. So the mm. better you know it, the the more accurate you are in this, the the more opportunities you have for developing medical interventions with with min- and with minimum side effects. So the problem is is that once you take the cells out of the body, they no longer behave like they do in the body. They may, they're yeah. medically misleading. So the conditions for winning the vascular tissue challenge is they have to be functional tissues. In other words, they we're going for heart lung, kidney, liver, and muscle. And they have to act as those organs. They have to Mm -hmm. behave as cells in those organs. And in addition, they have to have the blood supply. And using that blood supply, the teams need to maintain the tissues in an artificial environment for at least 30 days. Once you have that, if you have a good tissue culture that behaves as it does in the body, you can accelerate the discovery of the causes of a disease uh, by years and decades sooner, mm-hmm. and save millions to billions of dollars in the process. But if they're medically misleading, you start wandering down nonproductive courses. That's why th- this particular challenge articulated the way that it, it was. And I'm just going to I'm just going to say something. I hope Monsi doesn't get mad at me. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll see. But my job jar was pretty full when she asked me (laughs) to do (laughs) that. (laughs) So... I wasn't I wasn't exactly volunteering and now I just feel it's a real privilege because other things have happened as a result of this so one of them is the National Institutes of Health the National Science Foundation Veterans Administration, Department of Defense they all came to the workshop along with some of the top oh, wow. tissue engineering labs in the country and they all said one interesting thing that there were very few opportunities that they had to get together and find out where the barriers are collectively as a group and discuss mm-hmm. it and, and it it was an absolutely thrilling experience uh, to be part of that. Um, and another thing is that uh, Ames, uh, Dr. Patricia Parsons Wingarder, who's here on a very complicated relationship. She actually live uh, is mm-hmm. is uh, detailed here from the Glenn Research Center in Ohio okay. um, to Ames, and she's developed software with the Ames Artificial Intelligence Group that. Uh, basically develops the branching rules for the blood vessels of the eye. Okay. All right. So the w- question we've asked her is, can you determine the branching rules for all the rest of the organs of the body?
1: Oh, yeah, based off of that.
2: Because yeah. a lot of the teams are using 3D printing to print organs and tissues. And if you can get, give them the accurate information, then they can get the structure accurately. This challenge in particular was a challenge to put together and a challenge
3: that was very hard for our team uh, of managers at headquarters to understand. Um, so when we started, there was not a lot of hope of us having a lot of teams participating. In mm-hmm. fact, we were thrilled when we got three <laughs> registered. <laughs> and and right now we have nine teams yeah. um, working towards this goal. So this is obviously something that a lot of people um, and it is a pretty diverse it's a lot of academia but we also have outside of academia uh, participating industries also so we're really we're really thrilled that more than just you know a few people are interested in this.
1: <laughs> and so, what yeah. are what are the next steps? Or is there like an announcement that comes? Is there a big award thing? Or what, 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 you what mean, is the are you asking? Them?
2: How? Okay, so right now, all the teams are researching to meet the conditions. They need to meet the conditions uh, that it has to have blood vessels. That's the vascularization part. It needs to be at least a centimeter. That's ten times more than the other tissues that have been available. It needs to be sustained for at least thirty days. And once they do. That they once they they're sure that they can do that they submit an application for trial okay. to the Methuselah Foundation, who's our implementing partner for this, and. Then the judges who come from DoD, VA, NIH, NASA, um, and other research institutions will begin to um, evaluate how they're going to judge this. Because in other centennial challenges, these are big physical objects. Usually, yes, exactly. And, a, and an audience can get together, and everybody's going to see who Ta-da. won. It's going to be really obvious. <laughs> You're not okay. going to
1: be rolling in organs and like right. special incubators.
2: And thi- in <laughs> this in this one, that would be that's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> In this one the um the judges are going to need to use microscopes and biochemical analyses exactly. to confirm the results, and it's it's very tricky. We are so lucky to have the quality of judges that we do. These are some top guys, uh, top folks in the in the field, and uh, from multiple again, multiple organizations have come together because this is so important to VA for uh, obvious reasons. I mean, if you don't die of anything else and you get older, you know, <laughs> you're going to get kidney disease <laughs> at some
0: so, point in time.
2: So I did feel that the lives we saved could be mine. So. Among <laughs> mine, but because uh, I'm 65 and I'm definitely heading towards, um, you know, all of the issues that we're addressing in the vascular tissue challenge.
3: So the the challenge will be open
2: for uh, three years. It was open um, last year. Okay.
3: And so it it is basically the first team that can come up with an answer, and that can be verified by the team of super cool. Very qualified judges, <laughs> nice. um, and by our allied organization, which is Methuselah. Um, once all that is certified, the first team that that you know can meet the requirements uh, wins uh, two hundred thousand dollars, which is not too shabby. Nice, and and then uh, the two other um, the two up to two other teams can also win. So once three teams have won money, the competition
2: ends or at, at the end of three years. Or we at least reevaluate. Because, you know, one of the things to consider is, is we're looking at five different critical organs, heart, lungs, kidney, liver, and muscle, and three, you know, there'd still be two left at the end of that. So I, I might appeal to Monsi to continue the program if we <laughs> nice. can. Um,
1: so, so definitely, at least the minimum for the next three years, but... Yeah. More to come.
2: Yeah, and I want More to make to sure, because this is a, a podcast, I want to make sure to invite people to participate in this and to sign up. Um, the nine teams that are here, we can add as many as there is interest. So this goes all the way to September 30th, uh, 2019. And anytime before that, um, people are welcome to start participating and thinking about it. We'll be having a... Um, uh, bioengineering Roadmapping Summit in March, which is also open to you know researchers and those that are interested in the vascular tissue challenge. I, I also want to clarify t- to your audience
3: that okay, this sounds like not something anybody I mean, a housewife or you know cannot just grow tissue in her house or or <laughs> things like that. So this is an example of one of the most complicated challenges that we have. But all our challenges have. Um, a piece that the community can come and get involved with. And so, uh, you know, just want to make sure that you guys go to the <laughs> nasa.gov uh, slash um, challenges and, and look at what we have there because um, we have a lot of, it is, it is varied and, you know, we have challenges in software, we have uh, for humanoids, we have challenges in CubeSats, we have challenges in 3D printing, uh, habitats for Mars or Moon. And we're going to be open um, possibly two very quick, very soon on biotechnology. And so there's, you know, there's there's different grades of how we complicate the problem um, and how it can be the solutions can come to us so
1: excellent and so in in our show notes and on our landing page for the podcast we'll add all those links so Good. everybody can just hit those hyperlinks and move along um, and for everybody who's listening we're on we're on all the majors of social media for folks who have questions for Monsi or for Lynn um, we are using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley okay. don't hesitate to just go ahead and give us a shout out and we can either implement it into a future future episode or as a callback when we do one of the, some of the intros. But, sure. Monsey Lynn, thank you so much for coming on over. Okay. Well, it was really a pleasure. This was fun.
0: Anytime. You've been listening to the NASA and Silicon Valley podcast. If you have any questions, on Twitter, or at NASA Ames, and we're using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. Remember, we are a NASA podcast, but we aren't the only NASA podcast. So don't forget to check out our friends at Houston We Have a Podcast And there's also Gravity Assist and This Week at NASA. And if you're a music fan, don't forget to check out Third Rock Radio. The best way to capture all of the content is to subscribe to our Omnibus RSS feed called NASA Cast or visit the NASA app on iOS, Android, or anywhere you find your apps.